that you are God. Father, we live without fear and dread of whatever's in front of us because you are God. You will deliver, Father, to protect and heal and cause us to overcome and to be victorious. You said in your word, Father, that this is the victory that overcometh the entire complete world, even our faith. Our faith is in you, Father, that you are the victory, that you are the strength. Father, you are the wisdom. And Father, if we choose to believe that, there's nothing but victory ahead of us. Father, we thank you. Thank you, Father. We thank you, Father, for your goodness and kindness. Thank you. We thank you for your victory. Thank you. And in your presence, Father, there is great joy. And in your presence, Father, there is great peace. Father, we thank you for the presence of the Almighty God. We thank you, Father, that you inhabit the praises of your people. Thank you, Father. Goodness and mercy, kindness and peace, Father. thank you for all of these things and we praise you for the Father in Jesus name Amen well is the Lord good Amen. Yes. he is good Amen you know we mentioned that verse in, in uh, 1 John chapter 5 that this is the victory that overcometh the world even our faith you know he never said there wouldn't be things to deal with he said whatever things you have to deal with you have the victory in that Amen he never promised the church we'd have a life of ease in the sense of we wouldn't have things to deal with, people to deal with, situations to deal with, obstacles to deal with. He never said you would walk through life without obstacles uh, because there's an enemy of mankind whose desire is to resist your every move, to change your course and direction from the plan of God. Uh, and the Lord said that whatever the enemy throws at you, you have the victory. Well, do you believe that? Yes. You know, a lot of church thinks that my job is to hold my breath uh, and just uh, tough my way through it. And that's not, that's not a victory. Amen? Uh, you end up with battle scars and wounds and much of the church loves to compare, well, how many battle scars you got? Oh, I got, I got lots of battle scars, brother. How about you? Well, yeah, I'm missing an arm and a leg, you know, but I made it through, you know. I survived. And, well, that's not much of a victory. Amen? Victory is you come out on top. Amen? That you win the battle. And if we look at the example that we see in the Old Covenant, their victories were being completely and totally undefeated, not a single person being harmed. That's a victory. Amen? Uh, and it wasn't until you got later on in the covenant of, of mankind that uh, they started losing some in the battle. But when Joshua w was going through the Promised Land, he was cleaning house. And one time they lost, I think it was 36 people, and he went to the Lord and said, hey, what's up? We won the victory, but 
we lost a couple people here out of, you know, thousands of people in the war, losing 36 doesn't seem too bad. But that's from a, hum, a human's perspective, from God's perspective, losing one is one too many. And so he went to the Lord and said, what's up? You know, we lost people. We're not supposed to lose people. We're the, we're the army of the living God. Amen. And the Lord said, well, there's sin in the camp. You need to deal with the sin. You deal with the sin, deal with the sin, and um, we'll get you back to total, complete victory. Amen. Sometimes they would just show up and that, they wouldn't even have to do anything. Just say, boo, and the enemy would destroy themselves. Uh, that's victory. Amen. Uh, you know, uh, our, in our minds, victory is, well, we made it through, you know, and uh, uh, I lost a little bit along the way, but I'm mostly okay. That's no kind of victory. Amen. It's not the victory I want. When I see the examples of the Lord, I, I, I want to live the way the Lord wants us to live, complete and, and, and utter victory. Amen. No defeat. And so we're thankful for that. <clears throat> so here we are in um, uh, Dr. McCrossin's book here. Uh, this book is really uh, a, um, a desire to kind of answer some of the statements of unbelief that were prevalent at his time. About 100 years ago, there was a lot of intellectualism uh, rising up in the church about why God doesn't move supernaturally anymore, why God doesn't heal anymore. Uh, and they would, they would make up doctrine. Well, the reason why God doesn't heal because he didn't pay for healing on the cross. And they would give like one or two obscure verses uh, and twist what they me- meant uh, to, to prove uh, their point. And Dr. McCrossin just goes through from the beginning to the end and so said, this doesn't make any sense. Uh, and so he's, he's challenging uh, thoughts of doubt and unbelief. And really, you know, any doubt and unbelief that you have, it cannot withstand the scrutiny of the Word of God. Amen. Uh, if you will challenge your doubt and unbelief with the Word of God, it will fall. Uh, but, but a lot of times people don't want to hear the challenge to the Word of God, uh, from the Word of God, to their doubt and unbelief. They want to, uh, it's their golden calf, amen? They pet it, they feed it, you know, they take it out for walks, you know, people got little calf on a, on a rope, you know, uh, walking their little calf of doubt and unbelief. Uh, that's their golden calf. Don't talk about my golden calf. And well, you know, that, that doesn't make any sense. How dare you, you know? And, uh, that's just what I believe. Well, that's great. Uh, based upon what? Amen. What's the foundation? If you don't know, I mean, you don't have to be able to quote every book, chapter, verse, tell me exactly what page it is. Is, is it on the left-hand column, you know, all of that. Uh, but you've got to know what the Word says. Amen. And, and really what I would encourage you is whatever you think, you know, if you've got thoughts about the Lord or ideas about how the Lord works, challenge everything you think or believe with the Word of God. Lord, is there a reason why I think this? Is there a book, chapter, verse for why I think this? Or is it just my own ramblings? Uh, or the way I was raised, or what somebody once told me. Uh, is there a book, chapter, and verse for this thing? Uh, and if you'll do that, you, you will grow quickly in the Lord. Uh, but, if, if, but if you build up golden calves, and you don't want them challenged, and you want to, well, that's just the way I see it. Now, for lots of people, that's just the way, I, you know, I don't see it that way, or I don't believe it that way. It doesn't matter what you see or believe. What does it say? If it says that uh, the Lord is our healer, then that means exactly what it says. doesn't mean anything else other than that he's our healer. Amen. Uh, amen? And so, so he started out uh, in this, uh, he called it a division. You know, we would probably call it a chapter today. But the book is really not that long, and it's really written more of as a, as a paper than as, as a book. Uh, but that's fine. So he, he's starting out, six great biblical reasons why all Christians should take Christ as the healer of their bodies. 
You know, there was never supposed to be a group of Christians who believed in healing and a group of Christians who didn't believe in healing. All Christians should believe in healing. Amen. All, believe, all Christians should believe in an absolute healing that God always desires every single time, without exception, to heal your body. Uh, that, that sounds, you know, to some people, that sounds like a fanatical statement. In fact, there, there was a, a Pentecostal, uh, he, he was the president of one of the, the largest Pentecostal colleges in England, said that uh, you Christians who have a fanatical belief in God always healing need to give it up. The Pentecostal president of, of the college said that. And that, isn't that crazy that a, the pen, you know, we're supposed to be the carriers of the, we call it the full gospel. Well, full gospel would mean, you know, we believe everything that the Lord says that is so. Uh, but uh, full gospel just means, well, we, we've heard about that. You know, we don't really believe it, but we've heard about it, I guess. I don't know, really. Uh, <clears throat> I, you know, when I first got saved, I went to a full gospel church, and I didn't really know what that meant. It was full gospel. What's, what's that mean, full gospel? I mean, it, it, it's all gospel, right? And then I, it wasn't until years later I realized, well, some people have less than full gospel. Right? Well, God doesn't heal, and God doesn't protect, and God doesn't speak to us, God doesn't do miracles anymore. I'm like, well, what's left? What, what's he do? If he's not doing it, what's, what else is he doing? Well, he saves you. Uh, and uh, then just tells you to hang on the best you can, and then you'll die. Well, that doesn't seem like a super great way to live, right? Uh, but that's, uh, anybody kind of lived that way or, or been taught that way in the churches, right? So, so he starts out with uh, why all Christians, six reasons why all Christians should take Christ as the healer of their body. And he starts out with number one. And, of course, being a, being a doctor, PhD, right, it's, it's number one, uh, part A, part part. A1, part A2, 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 you know, so it's, it's, it's uh, you kind of have to, I had gone through my notes like, well, where's, there's an A, there's got to be B somewhere, and you should scroll down through, oh, there's the B, well, if there's a one, there's got to be a two, and you got to go past A, B, C, and then a, A, B, C, one, two, three, and then back to two, and so anyway, don't, don't get too lost in the weeds there, but um, so he starts out, well, it's, uh, uh, he's answering the question, right, why should all Christians take Christ as the healer. And the thing I like about this book is he answers the questions with scripture. It's not just his pontificating and going, well, you know, God and his infinite desire, you know, blah, 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 blah. He's like, well, here's what the word says. Uh, and, and for me personally, I've always been someone who I like it when you, when you prove to me from the word of God what you believe. Uh, and not just one verse, but follow it through. Amen. You should be able to take any significant doctrine, any major doctrine and follow it from Genesis to Revelation and see if this is not so. Uh, and so he starts out here. He starts out in Exodus fifteen twenty six. So Exodus, uh, which book of the Bible is Exodus? Second. Second book of the Bible, right? All you Sunday school people uh, know, should know that answer that question, right? Can you sing the song? There's a song that you can sing. You know all the uh, all the books of the Bible, right? I don't know the song. I I didn't grow up in Sunday school, so I don't know the song. So, uh, but uh, don't hold me to it. You know, I can get pretty good till you get to the to the 12 minor prophets and then you know Joel's in there somewhere and I don't, you know, Daniel and, and Amos and Habakkuk and you know, all those guys are in there somewhere, right? But anyway, so uh, he, he starts out with Exodus 15, 26. And the reason he starts out with Exodus 15, 26 is we saw examples of healing in the book of Genesis. The, who was the very first person to pray for somebody for healing? I think God's, Abraham was the very first person to pray for somebody for healing, he prayed for Abimelech. Remember the king that had uh, asked uh, Abraham, "Hey, who's that beautiful woman next to you?" Oh, that's my sister. 
not his sister, it's his wife, but, you know, he, he was, you know, great man of faith lied because he's afraid that, you know, if he told his wife, then the king, because he's thinking, well, if I tell her he's my wife uh, and she wants, he wants her, then he'll just kill me to get her, right? I mean, that's, if he's the king, he'll just do that. So he's thinking ahead, right? He's thinking, well, you know, if I lie, she's my sister, uh, he can still have her, it's fine, you go ahead and take her. You know, it's terrible, right? But he, that's the way he's thinking. You go ahead and take her and I'll get to live. And so that's Abimelech said, hey, who, who is she? You know, well, she's my sister. And it was, she was kind of a half-sister, you know, relation there. Back then, you know, you can marry your cousin. wasn't a big deal, right? It's still pretty, pretty common, I guess, in, in fair in Tennessee and Kentucky, right? You marry your cousin, right? But uh, other places, it's not quite as, as, uh, as accepted, right? Uh, and so, so he basically lied to the king. Yeah, she's my, she's my sister. And so, okay, well, to, then I'm going to take her for, for my wife, you know. And before he did anything with her, the Lord gave him a dream. What are you doing? I'm going to kill you. He's like, what? I didn't do anything. And then, so, so then he goes back to Abraham and said, hey, is she your wife or not? Well, yeah. Well, you lied to me. And the Lord came to me in a dream and said, I'm going to, I'm going to, if you touch her, you're a dead man. Uh, and, and, the, and even in his family, the sickness and disease started showing up in his family because uh, he, uh, even though it wasn't intentional, it was still a trespass against the will and plan of God. And so the enemy started bringing sickness into his ha- household. And Abraham said, yeah, she, she is my wife. And he said, well, you need to leave and take her with you. Uh, and, and, uh, and so Abraham prayed for Abimelech, the king, and his household. Uh, and his other wives that were not having children uh, started bearing children because Abraham prayed for him in his household. So we saw examples of it, but uh, it's not until we get to Exodus 15 that the Lord made a promise. He declared a promise to the nation of Israel. And so he said here in Exodus 15, 26, uh, he says, uh, he said, uh, the Lord said through Moses, if thou wilt diligently hearken to the voice of the Lord thy God and will, not, and will do that which is right in his sight and will give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of these diseases upon thee which I have brought Unto the, upon the Egyptians, for I am the Lord that healeth thee. Now, which is, I will put none of the diseases, really, uh, that would have been better written as, I will allow none of these diseases uh, to be upon thee, because the Lord doesn't put diseases on us. Uh, and so the Lord would, uh, he would not allow that. And, and I'm not a super big fan of that terminology, that the Lord will not allow that, because, uh, or, or he says it, uh, uh, in other cases, he'll, say, he'll allow things because it implies if, if the Lord allows it, then it's still kind of his will for it to happen. And it, it's really better to look at it from the standpoint of if we choose to do things that are sinful and choose to disobey the commandments of the Lord, you know, Paul told us in, in Ephesians 4.27 to neither give place to the devil uh, and if we choose to give place to the devil by doing sinful things or, or um, things that violate the plan and will of God, see, then we give place to the devil. And that word place there in Ephesians 4.27 is a license. Uh, and so we give a license for the devil to operate in our lives when we do things that are against the plan and will of God. Uh, and so the Lord's not allowing the devil to do things in our life. It's actually us that has allowed the devil to do things in our life. The Lord's not... Uh, willing for that to happen. He didn't want it to happen, but he really can't do anything about it if we choose to do it. Uh, and so you have to understand that man, man has a free will. We can do whatever we want to. We can follow God. We cannot follow God. 
We can choose to, to obey the word. We can choose to disobey the word of God. The Lord doesn't make us do these things. We choose to do these things. And when we choose to get outside the will of God, the Lord said, if you do everything that I tell you to do, he said, I am the Lord that healeth thee. And so the promise is, if you just stay right with God, you'll always remain healed. Amen. And so, so now he's actually declaring a promise. This is my promise to you. I am the Lord that healeth thee. Uh, and we know uh, where the word Lord there is the word Jehovah. Uh, and healeth thee is, is Rapha. So this is really Jehovah Rapha. So, so that's a covenant name of God. I am Jehovah Rapha. That's what he's telling the nation of Israel. And so he didn't say, he's not saying I, I was Jehovah Rapha. He didn't say sometimes I will be Jehovah Rapha. He said I am. Uh, what did, what did uh, when the Lord first appeared to Moses there on, on the backside of the wilderness in the burning bush, he said, go to Pharaoh and do all these things. And, and Moses said, who shall I tell sent me? He said, tell him I am sent you. Why did the Lord say I am sent you? That, you know, bad grammar, right? I am sent you. What does that even mean, right? Well, he, it just means he's ever, the ever-present one. Uh, I'm not the past tense God. Uh, in one sense, I'm not the future tense God. I am always the right now God. So that's what he's telling Abraham or telling Moses to tell Pharaoh. Tell Pharaoh the, the I am now present God. I am the ever-present God has sent me. And so if he's the ever-present God, is he present today? He is present today. Is he going to be present tomorrow? He's going to be present tomorrow. So if he says, I am, there's no end to that statement. It's not a, not, I will be, or I, I am the Lord to heal thee for a period of time. You know, that puts a constraint on, on how long he will be our healer. So if he said, I am the Lord to heal thee, I am the ever-present one who's the ever-healer for your life. And, and so that, and that's what the Lord's telling the nation of Israel. So when did that come to an end? Now, this is Old Covenant, right? Thousands of years before Jesus showed up. Uh, and, he, and he said, uh, I'm the one who's always your healer. So did that stop in the New Covenant? Did that stop after the, the, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus? Did it stop? Did it stop even when they were uh, in exile, when they were in Babylonian exile, after all the kings finally you know, kept sinning so much that the nation of Israel was dissolved by the Lord uh, for their sin? Uh, did, did he stop being the healer? No, he never stopped being the healer. He was, he, I am thy, thy, the Lord the healer. Uh, and he said in um, Exodus 23, uh, 25, uh, you shall serve the Lord your God and he shall bless thy bread and thy water and I will take sickness away from the midst of thee. So has he stopped taking sickness away from the midst of us? So when the Lord's making these declarations, what, what's he doing? You know, the, Lord, the Lord's really smart and intelligent. Uh, you know that, right? He, he's smarter than, you know, most people. Uh, actually, he's smarter than all people put together, right? But he's pretty smart. Uh, he didn't say things. You know, we say things and like, well, I, I don't really mean that, right? You know, uh, uh, hey, can I have $100? Yeah, you can have $100. Well, I didn't really mean I was going to give you $100, right? Uh, and uh, uh, you, you come in and, and, and I'll give you anything if you just make me a sandwich. Really, like anything? Can I have your truck? Well, I don't mean my truck. Well, you said anything, right? I mean, we say things all the time we don't really mean. But the, when the Lord says it, he says it with purpose. He says, it, I am, I'm going to say this, and I mean it to be a declaration of my will basically forever. Uh, and, and the only time it would ever change is if he can do better than that. And so, 
Now, what we can do is then we can go through the old covenant and look for promises that God has said. You know, sometimes uh, people get infatuated with the New Testament and, and say, well, the Old Testament doesn't matter anymore because uh, Jesus has fulfilled the old covenant, which is true. He, he has fulfilled the old covenant, but he didn't take away the promises of the old covenant. If there's a promise of blessing and deliverance and increase of the old covenant, then that still applies to us because he's, he called us children of Abraham. And this is part of the Abrahamic covenant here. And so uh, we know Galatians 3.13, the Bible says that Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, but it doesn't say that Christ hath redeemed us from the blessings of the law. So if there are blessings in the old covenant, they still belong to us. If there's curses on the old covenant, they don't belong to us because Jesus has taken care of that on our behalf. And so he said in, in Exodus uh, 23, I, I will take sickness away from the midst of thee. He said um, uh, in Psalm 103, who forgiveth all thy iniquities and healeth all thy diseases. And I think we talked about some of these things here, right? Uh, about uh, Psalm 103 and, and how uh, there's two parts to Psalm 103, uh, who healeth thy diseases and forgive all thy iniquities. And you can't take one away from the other. So you can't split that verse in two and say, well, I accept the fact that he forgives all my iniquities, but I reject the fact that he heals all my diseases. Uh, and so, and of course, uh, uh, really what we're getting down to is the first reason why uh, some of the people at that time when Dr. McCrossman wrote this book were saying that uh, even though the psalm says that he heals our, all, all our diseases, he's talking about spiritual healing. Anybody ever heard of the phrase spiritual healing? Well, there's really no such thing as spiritual healing, right? Because that, that implies that you have spiritual sickness. Well, the state of the human spirit is only in one of two states. It's either alive or it's dead. It's not sick and well. It's either alive or dead. Uh, and so uh, uh, when a child comes into the earth, spirits of that child is alive. When the child gets up to a certain age and, and knows right from wrong and chooses to do wrong anyway then spiritually that child dies. It's separated from the life of God. And if that child, uh, and when I say child, I just mean a person who's at the age, we call it the age of accountability, when that person, uh, that child has reached an age where they know right from wrong uh, and, and understands the ramifications of the right and wrong. So it's not just, you know, a two-year-old or three-year-old. Uh, what, what is the age? It's not any particular age, but it's whenever that child has the mental capacity to acknowledge that this action is right and this action is wrong. I'm going to choose to do what's wrong anyway uh, and, uh, because that's what I want to do. Now, whatever age that is, then uh, when that child chooses to do wrong, then they are separated from the life of God. And that's what we call spiritual death. Uh, it's not that they cease to exist. And really in the scriptures, death doesn't really mean that you cease to exist. Even when you die, you know, we have people, we, we say, well, so-and-so died. Well, they didn't, they didn't cease to exist. They, spiritually, they're still real. Amen? It's just that their body has stopped functioning. There's no more life in their body. Uh, and so their spirits are still just, just uh, uh, alive as it always was. And so, so when that child dies, uh, it's separated from the life of God. So uh, um, uh, that's not spiritual sickness. That's just death, Right? So there is no spiritual sickness, but a lot of times people will push that and they'll, they'll make this phrase, well, uh, God's only talking about spiritual things here. When he's talking about uh, healing your diseases, he's only talking about spiritual healing. And, and they say that because how do you argue that point? It, well, okay, you know, I guess you're, okay, can you prove that you're spiritually healed? 
Can you even prove that your spirits are sick? You can't really prove it either way. So they just kind of, it's just a smoke screen. Amen. But it, that, it, it's clearly talking about uh, diseases. And he, and he goes in and explains why this is the case, right? Uh, and so, and it kind of gets into uh, uh, this whole purpose of the book here. Uh, and so uh, the phrase that we finished up with last week was that it said that they push physical healing out past the resurrection. So the only time we'll get physical healed is once we are resurrected from the dead. So if the Lord delays, then uh, we, will, we will die physically. And if someday the Lord will return and he'll get our, our bodies that are in the ground and, and raise them from the dead. And that's when we're actually healed is when we are raised from the dead. Well, that's convenient, but of no value to me, right? Because, I mean, once I'm dead, I'm in, I'm in heaven. And so I don't care what happens after that. It's all good, right? Uh, and so, uh, and I don't really know, I don't really understand other than we talked about the spirit of the Antichrist, why there's such a, a need for people to think that way. It doesn't line up with the word of God because Psalm 103 doesn't say spiritual healing. It just says healing and, and diseases. And then he starts to explain he says three reasons why uh, this is wrong when he says that this is spiritual healing. Why is the phrase that Psalm 103 is only talking about spiritual healing? Why is that wrong? Uh, and so then he starts looking at, well, let's just look at when, when the Lord says diseases there in Psalm 103, who healeth thy diseases. Uh, and that, this is a good way to study the word of God. <clears throat> well, Lord, you said diseases. Let's see where else you've talked about this. Let's go through the scripture and talk about this. And we're thankful, you know, when he was writing this book, this was uh, about 1930 or so when he was writing this book, you did have strong concordance, but you didn't have a computer, right? And so it was really slow. I mean, we're thank- back then, it, we're thankful for having strong concordance. Anybody remember using strong concordance? I remember using those things, right? Got a big old book, you open it up, and you, you skim down, and you hope, you hope more than anything that the word that you're looking for only has a few entries. You get the faith of like two pages, like you'll look up hundreds of verses manually, right? It's, ex- it's, it's uh, uh, exhausting, so much work. Uh, now we just type it in a computer and it sh- shows it up right there and it's all magic. But so, so he started researching. Well, let's find out where this word disease is used and see how it's, see how it's used, right? See if it's talking about any kind of spiritual sickness or if it's talking about physical sickness. And so that's what he did. He looked up the word disease there. Uh, and we talked a little bit about the Septuagint, right? What, anybody remember what the Septuagint uh, is? It's a Greek translation of the Old Covenant, right? So we know that in general, generally speaking, that the Old Covenant was written in Hebrew, but uh, many centuries ago, about 300 years before Jesus was on the earth, they translated that Hebrew into Greek. Uh, and so... Uh, and, and the people who study these things, I haven't really studied out even to, to prove that, it, but it's, it seems to make sense. They said that uh, the scriptures that Jesus and all the apostles quoted were, were from the Septuagint because that was a Greek, uh, the Greek language was the prevailing language of their time. Uh, and so, so you, could go, you can go look up the Greek words in the Septuagint and follow them all the way through the Old Testament and the New Testament. So that's the value really of the Septuagint is, let me look up this word in the Old Testament, see how it's used in Greek, and see if it's the same way that it's used in the New Testament in Greek. And so, that, and that's, so that's what he's doing there, and that's the value of doing that is, is to, 
see what's the consistency of how this word is used, because that's what you want to do when you're studying is, how is this word used? Sometimes words are used in multiple ways, and so they have big meanings. Sometimes they use a very narrow ways and have a very specific meaning. Uh, and so he found this particular Greek word, and again, we're not going to go through all the Greek words here, but he, he looked up the Greek word for disease there uh, and said that it's used nine times in the Old Testament and 12 times in the New Testament. Now, back then, you had to do a lot of work to confirm that, right? You had to basically, I don't know if there was any Greek or Hebrew concordances back then. Maybe there was, uh, but it's still, it was a lot of work. Uh, and so, uh, and we talked, we already talked a lot about what the, uh, uh, what the Septuagint was. Um, and I, now I went through the same thing he did, except I can do it in five minutes instead of five days, right? Uh, I can go look up, you can go look up that Greek word. And you remember we talked about what these Greek numbers meant. Uh, if you look up in your book there, it says, there's a number there. It says a little G and then 3554. And we're going to go through all that. But, but that's the, the Greek number uh, of that Greek word. And Dr. Uh, Strong, who wrote Strong's Concordance, he went through all the Greek and Hebrew words and he numbered them. And he put a little G for the Greek words and a little H for the, for the uh, Hebrew words. And he, and he numbered them so that we have an easy way to recognize. Because does anybody know the entire Greek alpha, alphabet? No, there's like, uh, you know the whole, you know, as an engineer, you know about five of them, right? Uh, but, um, uh, and then Hebrew, I don't know how many, uh, there, uh, there's more than 20 Hebrew letters, right? I don't know how many there are, but I think there's 20, I know there's at least 26 because Psalm uh, 119 has, uh, it's broken down by Hebrew letters. Uh, and so, uh, however many there are, uh, uh, Mr. Bob, do you, know how, do you know how many Greek letters there are? It's less than 26, right? It's like 20, 24, 23, something like that. He, he's going through the numbers right now. and so <laughs> 24, yeah. I think there was a couple less than, than English. Uh, and so, and then I, it's not exactly a one-to-one, but it's fairly close to the English uh, letters there because the root of, of English letters come from Greek and uh, Roman lettering there. Uh, but anyway, so... Uh, because everybody's not a Greek or Hebrew scholar, Dr. Strong's went through and just numbered, put just numbers around. The numbers mean nothing. You know, it's, if this one's a, a Greek number, G3554, well, why is it that? Because that's the next one in the list, right? He just started at one and went through, uh, I think, uh, the Hebrew uh, Strong's number for number one is father. <clears throat> and so, I don't know, Greek number 26, G26, is agape love. Uh, and so, um, he went through a number of those. So we can look up those numbers and then you, you can go through there and, and look at these same numbers and you, you can go online, you can find translations that show all the uh, Strong's numbers next to all the English words. In fact, that's the one I use really the most is, is the translation. It's a King James translation with all the Strong's numbers. Uh, and so, so that's what he came up with. He just came up with that, this numbering system. And that was in the 1800s when he did that and it's been still being used today. It's not perfect, you know, but I'm not a Greek, enough Greek scholar to, to care when it's not perfect. Uh, and so, so he went through, and so you can look up those same, you can follow that same G3554. If you go to your, uh, to your Bible program, uh, most Bible programs, if you type in G554 or 3554 in the search box, it'll show you all the places where that particular word is used. Uh, and so, now it doesn't usually do it for the Old Testament, but it does do it for the New Testament. But you can go to other places and find out where this, this uh, uh, Greek word was used. And, and I'm not trying to belabor this point, 
but it's a little helpful to understand to see how Dr. McCrossan followed this logic. So he's trying to confirm, I've got this Greek word called disease, let's find out everywhere it's used, and let's find out the context of how it's used, and just see, and see how, uh, uh, what's the meaning of this word from where it's used in the Word of God. Uh, and so what he found was every single time, without exception, that this word always means physical sickness and, and disease. It doesn't sometimes mean spiritual health or spiritual issues. It's always talking about spiritual or physical disease. And so if that's the case, then he, uh, he said, what, in, in um, nine times in the Old Testament, 12 times, so that's 21 times. This word was used 21 times in the Bible. Every single time it means physical disease or sickness. So if every other time except for the one in Psalm 103, it means that, then that's what Psalm 103 means. So that's the logic, that he, and that's, that's valid logic, right? Let's see everywhere it's used, and if it's always used this way, then it's also used that way there. You're not going to have 20 times always meaning physical disease, and the one time in Psalm 103, it doesn't mean that, uh, unless it's specifically said in such a way that would imply that. Well, Psalm 103 doesn't, doesn't say it either way. So you have to look at all of the uses to find out how it's, how it's intended to be used. And when, when I went through this, I, I could only confirm eight of the Old Testament uh, Greek, Greek uh, words Greek, or the uh, different verses where it was used. I couldn't find the ninth one. But that's sometimes the, the numbering's a little bit different uh, depending on the translation used. So no big deal. I think you know, eight, eight, eight out of the Old Testament and I found all 12 of them in the New Testament, where you can look it up. And, and I'll just, I'm not going to read all of them because we don't need to go through all of them. Uh, but uh, uh, in, in Deuteronomy uh, 7.15, for example, it says, And the Lord shall remove, this is the uh, translation that, that uses the Septuagint, And the Lord shall remove from, uh, from you every infirmity and all diseases of Egypt, uh, which you knew he will not place upon you and he will place them upon the ones detesting you. Uh, and so, again, if you want all these references, I'll be glad to give them to you. I think they're in your book. Actually, they're not in your book. He just says nine times, right? So I went through and found them all, found them all and put them in my notes here. But you can go through exactly if, if you want to confirm his, and if you're going to be a good student, that's what you should do, right? I went through, when he said it's used 12 times in the New Testament, I confirmed every time it was used in the New Testament. Uh, and so you can believe me and him if you want to. If you don't believe either one of us, you can go look it up yourself and confirm that it's so, right? Uh, and so he went through all of the places in the Old Testament, all of the places in the New Testament where this was used, and confirmed that, yes, that Greek word is always, in, uh, is always talking about physical sickness and disease, right? Especially when you get in the Gospels, uh, it, he talked about all the different diseases that Jesus healed. Well, it's always talking about physical healing. Amen. Uh, and so, so that's really, uh, that's one of the reasons why when that, when that other person said, well, Psalm 103 is only talking about spiritual diseases, then Dr. McCross says, well, that's not so. Everywhere that, every time they use this word, it's always talking about physical sickness. And so that's how you, how you confirm or deny what somebody is saying, right? Even though they say, well, that's, that's this, well, let's just go look it up, right? Just like uh, when you get into uh, Mark eleven twenty three and twenty four. When you get to Mark eleven twenty three, says, "Who shall say to this mountain, be thou removed, be thou cast into the sea?" Uh, and somebody say, "Well, that's only spiritual mountains." Well, is that what Mark eleven twenty three says? That whosoever shall say unto the spiritual mountain, no. Uh, and so then you can ask yourself, well, well, 
did Jesus ever speak to anything natural to have it, to have it move? Well, yeah. Did he speak to the wind? Did he speak to the waves? Speak to the storms? Did he speak to the fig tree? Did he talk about speaking to the sycamine tree? So he talked about a lot of natural things. And so if he said, who shall say this sycamine tree be plucked up and be cast into the sea? Well, he did that, right? He did that with the, with the fig tree. So, so when he's talking about the fig tree, he's talking about natural things, right? Anything that's in your way naturally, if you have a problem with that, then, um, <clears throat> uh, then that's the way it's intended to be used, right? And so he looked up the word disease, found out everywhere it's used, in the context of everywhere it's used, if it's clear, it's always talking about uh, uh, physical disease. And then he looked up the word healeth there from Psalm 103. So he healeth all thy diseases. So first he looked up the word disease everywhere. It was talking about physical uh, sickness. And then he looked up the word healeth, right, uh, from Psalm 103. That he healeth all thy diseases. Uh, and and the, he was asking the question, how is this word used everywhere that this word is found? Uh, because I, I need to confirm. Uh, they, they're saying it doesn't mean uh, physical healing, but let's see what the word says. So that's the best way to confirm it is we'll see what the word says. Amen? Because the word of God is, is plenty clear. Uh, and, and it's not like it's, it, you know, if this was like the only time used, then you'd have to kind of go outside the scripture, find out how that word was used in, in, the, in the world. But if the word was used many times in the word of God, then just look up to see how it was used in the word of God. And so he looked up the word heal it there. Uh, in case you were wondering, it, it's uh, the Greek word uh, G2390, right? And he also has the, uh, the English uh, spelling of that Greek word there as well. Uh, and so he looked up that same word from the Septuagint in the Old Testament in Psalm 103. And he said he found that 28 times uh, in the New Testament for the word healeth. He said every time uh, that... Uh, that that word healeth there was found in the New Testament, it always means physical healing. And again, you can do the same thing, same thing I did. I went to my computer, I pulled it up, I typed in the word, uh, the, the G2390, hit return, and bam, there, there's, the, there's uh, uh, 28 times, all the 28 references in the New Testament where this Greek word was used, and you just read them. Uh, and so uh, I'll just read a couple of them there. It's in Matthew 8, 8. It says, The centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that thou shouldest come into my roof, but speak the word only, and my servant shall be healed. Well, that's the same word healed there as it was in Psalm 103. So that word healed then means physical healing because his servant was sick. Uh, he said uh, also to the centurion in the same chapter in verse 13, Go thy way as thou hast believed, so be it done unto thee. And his servant was healed in that selfsame hour. So again, physical healing, right? He, he, didn't, he didn't need spiritual healing. Again, that's not a really a thing. But, but um, uh, he's talking about physical healing. Uh, and so uh, when he, the, the Syrophoenician woman, uh, it says uh, in Matthew 15, 28, O woman, great is thy faith, be it unto thee even as thou wilt. And her daughter was made whole, uh, from that very hour. And that word whole there is the same Greek word, right? So, that, so her daughter was healed in that self same hour. Uh, and so the woman with the issue of blood in, in Mark chapter 5, it says in Mark 5, 29, and straightway the fountain of her blood was dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of that plague. So all, all he's doing is going through and 
you know, he, he didn't start out with the answer. He started out with the question. A lot of people with their doubt and unbelief, they start with the answer and, and they force the scripture to fit their answer. And that's a poor way to study. You'd better to say, well, Lord, how did, you, how did you use this word? And just keep an open mind, Lord, how did you use this word through the word of God? Let's just see, because that will define your doctrine. That will define what you should believe. And you can just do things, you go through all 28 verses. Again, we're not going to go through them all. Uh, most of them are used in, in the Gospels, a few in the book of Acts, and a, a few more times after that. Uh, and, you know, if you go through all 28, there's a few that's like, eh, you know, it's, it's, it doesn't really, uh, it, it doesn't quite have that same strong uh, uh, physical healing. He's talking about other things there. But the general consensus is when you go through the New Testament, look up this word, that it's talking about physical healing. Uh, and so, uh, so he looked up uh, from Psalm 103, who healeth all thy diseases. And so, um, <clears throat> uh, so he confirmed from both of those two words, healeth and diseases, that those are always talking about physical ailments. Uh, and then he went back to uh, Psalm uh, 103, verse 4, right? So we read Psalm 103, verse 3, and Psalm 103, verse 4 says, Who redeemeth thy life from destruction? who crowneth thee with love and kindness and tender mercies. Uh, and so, so then he wanted to ask the question, uh, did, when it says, he who redeemeth thy life from destruction, it was that a one-time thing? That uh, he did it way back in Psalm 103, but he stopped doing it sometime. Psalm 104, he stopped doing that. And so uh, being a, uh, a Greek and Hebrew scholar, you know, uh, if people are really good at grammar, they can talk about like, hanging participles and, you know, all these things. And like, what are you talking about, right? And I remember going through grammar, like in, in, in uh, elementary school and high school, they started about all these things about attributes of, of grammar that you'll never need to know, right? Uh, when, when Jared did uh, uh, homeschooling when he was in seventh grade, he was studying his grammar and he'd say, you know, this is a present, present participle, past participle, whatever. And, 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 you know, Dad, help, help me understand. You know, he never asked me help for math, but you get to these things in grammar. Uh, help me understand what this means. I said, well, okay, Jed, I'll show you what it means. I said, it doesn't matter. You're going to do the, you memorize this for the test, take the test, and forget you ever learned this, right? Because who cares, right? Uh, present participle, right? Past participle. Anybody know what that means? I mean, I don't know. You know I mean, maybe some of you know what it means, right? Uh, but um, people who study these things, language they understand these things and they can give you some insight of the value of these words that are being used, right? And so when he looked up the word, uh, who redeemeth from Psalm 103 verse 4, who redeemeth thy life, uh, is that a, because a, it sounds like who redeemeth, well, that sounds like a present tense thing. He's doing it right now. But that doesn't mean he's going to do it tomorrow, right? He's doing it right now, but is he going to do it tomorrow? Well, he, when he looked up the word, um, uh, who redeemeth in the, in the Hebrew and even in the Greek, he called it, uh, it's a, uh, it denotes a continuous present tense action. And the grammar word for that is it's a present participle. So it's, uh, the correct translation is more along the lines of the one constantly redeeming. So there's no end to it, right? There's a beginning to it whenever he starts it, but there's no end to it. So who redeemeth thy life from destruction? So it's, it, he started it whenever you entered into a covenant agreement with him. And it's a continuous present tense uh, event that's occurring in your life. And so that's what it means uh, when you look up that word there. And so when he said uh, in Psalm 103 in the King James, it says, who redeemeth thy life from destruction. And that sounds like either past tense, like he did it before, 
or, or maybe present like he's doing it right now, but it's really, it should be um, a continuous action. And you can look, go look up other translations. So other people uh, like uh, uh, Robert, Dr. Robert Young, he wrote Young's Analytic Concordance. He wrote uh, Young's literal translation of the Bible. And one of the things when he wrote the, his translation of the Bible, that it was important for him to uh, convey the correct uh, tense of the verb. So, you know, King James is kind of was trying to make it more conversational, but it really kind of lost some of the intent. And so uh, when Dr. Young was translating the Bible, he, he wanted to make sure that when verbs came along, he, he tried to convey how long does this event occur? Is it is a one-time, once-and-done, or is it a continuous action? And so if you look up uh, Young's translation, uh, Young's little, literal translation uh, of Psalm 103, verse 4, it says, Who is redeeming from destruction thy life? So he is redeeming. So it's present tense, but it's continuous, right? I, I am doing it right now, but I'm redeeming. I'm continuing to do this, right? So I'm not stopping. It's not a one-time thing. Uh, I started this, and, I, and I'm continuing it today. Uh, other translation says, one ransoming, uh, ran, ransoming uh, from out of corruption in your life. Uh, one translation says, he continues to redeem. Uh, and even Dr. McCrossin got in on it and, and wrote his own version of that verse. Uh, it, uh, the way he wrote it is, the one redeeming thy life from destruction or decay, the one crowning thee w- w- with mercy and compassion, the one satisfying thy desire with good things. And so, and you'll, you'll find that a lot of things, a lot of the promises that the Lord makes, uh, they're continuous promises. So it's not like, well, that was great for them, too bad for us. No, when he, when he initiated the promise, when he decided to write the promise down and record it for our benefit, he wanted to make sure you write that in such a way that shows I'm continuing to do this. I am redeeming your life. Not, not I have redeemed, but I am redeeming your life from destruction now. Uh, and so you make sure you write it. And the, the, the Hebrew and the Greek writers made sure they did that, right? Uh, and so, <clears throat> so uh, one of the things we need to do in, in all of these things is make sure that when we're studying the Word of God, that when we're looking at these promises, we put the promises in, in our timeline uh, the way they're supposed to be, the way the Word of God wrote them. And so uh, that, that other writer said, well, these things only happen after the resurrection. And so he pushes the promise out way past uh, our natural life, right, to after we're resurrected. Well, and a lot of people will do that. They'll push out the promises of God until, until they're gone from this earth, right? Well, that's only going to help us in heaven. Well, that's great, but that doesn't do me any good today. Uh, and a lot of people will do that for, for whatever reason. I don't, you know, sometimes just doubt and unbelief. I, I don't have enough faith to believe that's for today, but everything is good in heaven, so we know it's going to be there. But what did, what did Jesus pray when he prayed? We call it the Lord's Prayer, but what did he pray in, Mark, in Matthew chapter 6 when he said, uh, Thy will be done where? On earth as it is where? In heaven. Thy will be done. I want your will, Father, to be done on earth just like it is in heaven. And so why we push those things out until we get to heaven, I don't understand because Jesus literally prayed, my desire is for your will to be done on earth just like it's in heaven. So uh, is there, uh, are there uh, 24-hour uh, clinics in heaven? You get a cough or something, you know, you get a, an ache or pain, you go run to the 24-hour uh, heaven clinic, get checked out. 
No, there are no clinics in heaven. Why are there no clinics in heaven? There's no need for a clinic. Is there a need for clinics in heaven? No need for clinics in heaven because there's no sickness in heaven. If no sickness in heaven, then what's God's will on the earth? There's no sickness on the earth. If God's will that there's no sickness in heaven, and that should be obvious because there is no sickness in heaven, then what is God's will on the earth? And there's no, then his will is for there to be no sickness on the earth. Now, these promises belong to who? They belong to us, right? Do they belong to the guy down there not in the church? They don't belong to him because he's not a member of the family of God, right? So it doesn't belong to the world, but it belongs to the church. And so, of course, the church has gotten in competition with the world. We think we can be just as sick as them. Let's try. And, and we do, right? I mean, many times the church is just as sick as the world, but that doesn't change God's word. It doesn't change what his will is. It just changes, uh, it just explains how much faith that we have. Amen? Uh, and so, so one aspect is we shouldn't put things off into the future that the Lord desires to give to us today, but also we shouldn't do the other thing is cut off things uh, that the Lord wanted to be continuous to, to end them right after they were spoken. And so if Psalm 103, uh, verse 4 says, that who redeemeth thy life from destruction, that didn't come to an end, right? That's a continuous action that he wants to continue today. So uh, we shouldn't, do, we shouldn't uh, uh, stop things, right? Because a lot of times people's faith is, well, that's stopped before then, or that's for the future. But right now, it's too bad, right? Well, that, that's a terrible way to live. What, why, why have all these promises if they stop in the past or won't be valuable to the future, then we're stuck right now. Well, I want to either go backwards, go to the old covenant, which would be terrible, right? Because then we've got to murder a bunch of mammals, or just go ahead and go on to heaven. Well, that'd be terrible too, because then people I know won't get to go to heaven because I'm not here to preach to them. So, so we, should, we shouldn't do those things um, uh, and, and change the timing of God's plan, change the timing of God's promises. If he, if he started it, and it's a continuous action, then, then that's what he intended it to do without end. Amen? Until it comes to a point in time where it's unnecessary. So, uh, who healeth all the diseases, that's, gonna, that, that's great. Is there going to come a time when that promise is no longer necessary? Well, there will be, right? When we get a glorified body and sickness is removed from the earth, then that promise is just uh, sunsetted, right? It's, just, it's, it's there, but it's no longer necessary because there's no disease. Uh, and, and that's fine, right? There, there comes a time when, when the Lord oftentimes, just like he did with the old covenant and uh, going through the process of killing animals to shed blood for our atonement, well, did he come along and go to the cross? Well, then he replaced that with a better thing, amen? So that, that part of the promise is no longer necessary. But is disease still in the earth today? then it would be necessary for healing to be in the earth today. And so the Lord hasn't ended that because he would only end it if there's no longer a need for the promise. And so, so we need to make sure that uh, we don't do this. Amen. Uh, and so, uh, and he said, he said, uh, I'll, I'll just read this uh, real quick. Here's a couple more verses. He said in Psalm 105, verse 37, he said, he, he brought them forth. So he's talking about the people out of Israel, right? When he took them out of, out of Egypt and brought them into the promised land. It says, he brought them forth also with silver and gold, and there was not one feeble person among their tribes. So I've heard a, a, a wide range of the number of people that left Egypt, uh, up to a million to two million people, but there was a lot, you know, even hundreds of thousands of people. How big is, is, is the city of Dayton? It's like eight, 9,000 people, right? So you're talking, you know, as, as many as, 
well, I don't know what's the math for that, right? But it's a lot, right? 10,000 times more than that, right? Something like that. Uh, so there's a lot, amen? <clears throat> I mean, 10,000 times 10,000 is a million. So it's more than 10,000 uh, cities of Dayton came out of Egypt. So you take our city, you multiply by 10,000, and that's about what came out of Egypt. And so he said there wasn't one feeble among them, not one. Well, that right there is a miracle in itself, right? I mean, you go to Walmart and throw a rock, you're going to hit three sick people. Uh, amen? <laughs> and they're all going to get mad because why, why are you hitting sick people? I'm just trying to make a point, right? Just, uh, and so, uh, so he, he brought them out of it, not one, not one feeble. You reckon there's any old people in, in, um, uh, in Egypt or when they left out of Egypt to go to the promised land? Not a single one. No electric scooters, not a single one, right? No little, no little rolly carts or anything, no, no wheelchairs, not one feeble. No crutches, nobody hanging on somebody else. Nobody in a cart, right, that couldn't walk on their own. Not one, not one. You think about that. that that's an amazing miracle all by itself, amen? Uh, and so, uh, and, and they couldn't do that unless there was a constant state of healing available to the nation of Israel, right? It wasn't like just that one second in time and no, uh, you know, five weeks before that there was a bunch of sick people and five weeks after that there was a bunch of sick people. No, they would have had to live in that continuous promise of, uh, of no sickness and disease. Now, this was before the promise of Exodus 15.26, right? Because they left Egypt before Exodus 15.26. They left Egypt before Psalm 103. So the Lord had been providing the promise to the nation of Israel as his covenant people before he even wrote down what the promise was. He was showing by example, here's how I want you to live. Uh, and so uh, he said, uh, and the, la- the last verse here in the section was Psalm 107.20. He says, he sent his word and healed them and delivered them from their, their destructions. And again, that, that word healed there uh, is talking about physical healing. Uh, so he sent his word. Well, who is the word? Jesus is the word, right? Uh, in the beginning was word, the word was with God, the word was God. And so Jesus, he sent Jesus, right? Uh, and of course, Jesus healed them. Well, in what way did Jesus heal people? Physically, right? Every kind of sickness and disease you can imagine, Jesus was healing that in the Gospels. Uh, and so... The Lord made that promise that I'm going to send my word and I'm going to heal you. Well, has he taken his word back? Has that word come to an end? So Dr. McCrossan, you know, he's saying, well, just, you know, let's have an open mind. Let's just see what the word says. And that's really a good way to study, right? And that's the way I study. I just have an open mind. You know, I get a, I get a thought. Well, I wonder if that's so. Well, a lot of people go, I thought it must be so. That's a terrible way to study, right? Uh, the better way to study is, you know, I thought it, let's see if the word's so. And I can't tell you how many times, you know, I think something, I go look it up, nah, it ain't so. That's wrong. I'm just going to throw that one away. Because, you know, you come up with ideas, and they, not, they may not be good ideas, but, you know, well, Lord, do you, do you do this? And you go look up in the word, God, well, no, you never do that. And so, so if you have an idea, just go to the word. And so those people that were writing these things when he was around, when Dr. McCross, they weren't really, they take one verse, well, Psalm 104 doesn't mean that. And, they, and, and the people go, oh, okay, I guess it doesn't mean that. Well, well, based on what? Because I said it doesn't mean that. Well, that's a terrible way to study, amen? So go look up all these, all these uh, 20, 30 times that he talks about these different words and confirm for yourself, uh, is this what it means, amen? And that's the appropriate way to study. And so he starts out the next reason why this is not true, why Psalm 103 verse 4 uh, doesn't mean what that fellow said that it mean. Uh, 
Uh, we'll pick that up next week. They said in New Testament time, God's man, God was man's healer uh, through the Lord Jesus Christ. So the first one, if you remember uh, back at reason uh, A, right, uh, of uh, 1A, I've got to scroll back all these words here and read 1A again. In the Old Testament time, God was man's healer because he declared that so, right? We see from example that he was the man's healer. And then he goes from the Old Testament, and then he goes into the New Testament. In the New Testament time, Jesus was man's healer. So he's going through and just, well, it looks like you were a healer then. looks like you were the healer then. And so you just put, you know, draw a straight line. Well, if you were a healer then, you're a healer then. You still, you still got to be a healer now. And he goes through and shows that reasoning behind that there. So if you like, if you like the defense of the word and an actual uh, solid um, reasoning behind people's beliefs, this is a great book, right? Uh, and it, it is, it can be thick, but it, I think it's a great book, amen? Uh, and so, uh, because he makes, a, he makes the case. He makes the case from a, from a scriptural standpoint. So he went to the Old Covenant. Now he's going to go in the New Covenant. We'll pick that up next week about uh, in New Testament time that God was man's healer through Jesus. Uh, and he follows it all the way through there, amen? And so let's pray and thank the Lord for his word today. So Father, we do thank you that you were the healer. You showed us by example, Father, and by promise that you were the healer of man in the Old Covenant. You showed us, Father, by the promises you made, but also, Father, you showed us by how you kept the nation of Israel healed as long as they stayed in your perfect will. That There was no sickness, not one feeble among the, the million-plus people that came out of Egypt. And so we thank you for that, Father, and we give you all the praise and the honor for it, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, praise God. I guess my math was wrong, though, wasn't it, Jared? I just know. A thousand times a thousand is a million, right? Ten thousand times ten thousand is is a hundred million, right? Uh, and so, um, you'd have to have uh, what uh, three or four uh, hundred uh, Daytons to make up uh, a million there. So, it's still a lot, amen. Uh, and so, we can do the math if you really want to get that math correct there. But it's it's a lot more than we. How many sick people are in a, in the city of Dayton today? A lot, right? Uh, and Jesus would take that and make it a million. I think what uh, uh, Nashville probably has about a million people. Memphis has probably about a million people or so. You go to those big cities, and, and Jesus said not, there wasn't a single person sick in that entire city. That's, that right there is a miracle, amen? And they all left Egypt uh, well. And so well, let's get ready and receive uh, this afternoon's offering. And so we'll look at, uh, he starts going into some of the, the uh, uh, covenant names of God next week and uh, see, sees what promises God made to the nation of Israel. Uh, and so, um, all right, come ahead, Mr. Jared, receive the offering. And so, um, don't worry about getting lost in, in the outline that he provided there. We'll just keep on going through there and just look what he says. Amen. Um, and so, <clears throat> uh, I've got a lot more notes even than he's got because I went through and confirmed all of those verses there, so I've got a whole lot more verses in there. He just, he would just say things, right? And then you got to go spend an hour, go confirm what he said, which is fine. That's, that's part of the job, right? Uh, but uh, all right, praise God. Well, uh, is the Lord uh, our healer? Is it a continuous process? Does it ever come to an end? Doesn't come to an end, right? And so if it doesn't come to an end, then he's still a continuous healer today. Uh, and that's what he promised. And so we can go out and stay healed. Amen. All right, we'll be blessed and uh, we'll see you next Sunday.